And so, inspired by the beautiful lyric of Martin Kerr, make me empty like a hollow reed. I know that there is a presence that is alive and dynamic within this sanctuary, within each and every one of us. It is the presence of spirit ever available, always everywhere in general and nowhere in particular until we begin to interact with it, invite it into our experience. And so what I celebrate in this moment, wherever you are in your own level of thinking or being or concern or worry or joy and celebration, I recognize that power and presence within myself and within you. That we come together in this community of of like-minded individuals, of people that are deeply invested in their own spirit, their own development of their own divine nature. We celebrate this. I know that whatever is right and perfect for you to perceive, to you to, for you to be part of this day, whatever challenge lies before us, whatever situation, whatever it may be, I know that that infinite divine intelligence is always in collaboration, communication, support, and love, for it is its nature. And so I stand with you in the expectancy of great good, knowing that our success is ordained, is already complete in the mind of the infinite, this amazing, amazing opportunity for creativity, for innovation, for love, for peace, for health, beauty. All of those qualities and more, I give thanks, knowing that we are guided and directed the beautiful music that we are witnessing and experiencing today, all of our volunteers, all of the people past and present that have allowed us to stand here 30 years, 30 years of helping people live a fulfilled, meaningful, powerful and beautiful life. I give thanks for this. I give thanks for this moment, this day, for all of the wonderful authors, teachers, and inspiration that I witness upon this glorious planet. I celebrate it. I say, that's for me. For this I give thanks and invite you to say, and so it is. Beautiful. All right. Well, this is great. We got our little, I'm finally able to control the, I thought it was, able to control the screen. So we're going to, I'll let you know if that's not happening. Here we go. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. I have faith. We're talking about faith today. There we go, planting seeds of faith. So I wanted to uh, share with you some, some beautiful ideas. Let me get my notes uh, squared away here from, from first service. I better leave it alone because I'm, I'm not pulling it up. So we're almost there. We're closer than we were. So planting seeds of faith. And, you know, there are many, many faith traditions upon the planet and, and looking at this for, you know, us and, and how we land in this. We're a, a community that teaches a living a life based on spirituality rather than a certain denomination. And so we're a little, we look at, we'd look at things a bit differently. And I wanted to share some ideas with you that I think explore that quite powerfully and insightfully. I, I came across a book by Leslie Hazelton called The First Muslim. That really inspired a bit of what I want to start with today because faith does require uncertainty. And she wrote a book, the first Muslim was Muhammad. And so Muhammad had this experience, as the story goes, of a a human experience with the divine. And what is not written about, as she articulates in this beautiful work, is that the powers that be now don't really talk about it. In other words, that, that what happened with Muhammad when he had this intimate and powerful, overwhelming experience with the divine, is he wasn't, he wasn't certain what it was all about. 
In fact, he was very confused. He didn't know if he was making it up, if he was hallucinating, and it overwhelmed him, and it put him in a state of fear and apprehension, and to the point where that one experience, because that one experience was so powerful, he wanted to end all experiences. He actually thought about taking his own life. And if you go back into, his, as um, author Hazelton writes about, if you go back and, and, and examine the early writings from mo- the Muslim tradition, they t- that's talked about there. So he was, there was a sense of uncertainty about it. It was a sense of what is this and what should I do with this and why me and all of those sort of certain things. What's happened over time is that, that as we've gone along, we see in history where even though doubt was the heart of the matter, and it happened for Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane, according to scripture, it says, you know, Father, take this cup from my lips. I don't want to, I don't want to continue to do this. Is there another way to do this? Please let this not be my journey. And of course, his story is, is full of ideas where he would go to the desert for 40 days, or he would go and isolate himself and, and reconnect with that, that infinite divine presence has been described as the Father in Heaven, and the Father in Heaven is, a, is a, this presence of, of wholeness that he would experience. But he, he would step out of the busyness of life and have those experiences, back and forth, back and forth. But it's easy to gloss over the things. It's easy to gloss over the struggle and realize it and to, to step into cert, certainty because we can cherry pick certain pieces of scripture. So what's happened for some around this idea of faith, there's a difference between faith and certainty. There's a difference between faith and fanaticism. So when you were certain about things, you abolish all doubt, that you are certain that you possess the truth. And we certainly see that on the planet. There are groups and there are different um, denominations of faith and there are certain political parties. Certain, that certainty shows up. And what happens is it becomes dogmatic. There's a righteousness, there's a pride in being very right. So they know everything there is to know. Anybody ever had a friend like that or been married to? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But, and, what it, and what it is, see, it's, and there's nothing wrong. These are good, good, good people. I'm not, and believe me, I am not criticizing this. Please know that. There's great people on the planet that know everything there is to know. <laughs> or think they do. I got a friend at the Saskatoon Church, Center for Spiritual Living in Saskatoon, and he's, he always comes to me and says, my biggest problem is I have all the answers. <laughs> and I said, that's a great awareness to have. Good for you. Let me know how that keeps working for you. But it, what it is, too, it gives us a sense of, of safety. It gives us a sense of integrity. It gives us a box to play in. And when we have all the answers, we can take a deep breath. We understand it all because our mind needs that. Our mind wants that. So faith... Faith requires us to live in the mystery of saying, geez, I don't know. I don't know. What happened with, with you see it, uh, and I will highlight three traditions, because we honor all traditions. And we're one tradition. We don't, you know, one of the things I love about this, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to take attendance and tell you how you're messing up in your life and give you the rules. I've had people come to me and say, tell me how to do this. I said, I'm not going to do that. Well, help me stop smoking. I say, hey, if you got them, smoke them. It's none of my business. <laughs> what I would say is if, you, if, there's, if you're smoking for a certain reason, let's look at the deeper reason why you're smoking. And once we bring awareness to that, maybe the smoking will stop. But for me to say, you stop smoking, then all of a sudden I'm the, I'm the dad. I'm the authority. 
So I'm on the, one of the things I love about what I, have, I, I get to do is that I get to, to be in that uncertainty with you. And also to recognize there's a divinity that is alive in you as it is alive in me, it's alive in everyone. Or it may be asleep in some. So with the Judaic tradition, we see certainty or fanaticism played out. There's a, a group that, that had been characterized as violent messianic settlers on the West Bank. These people decide they're going to go in, they're going to settle, they're going to build homes. This is our land, this is sacred territory. We are right, everyone else in opposition to us is wrong. And it's an example of that fanaticism. We see it with Christianity. Christianity many years ago, and you still, and you still see it alive in, in, in Christian traditions today, which is nothing what the t- teacher Jesus was talking about, unconditional love. But, he, but he, what happened there is that they had the Crusades, and they got together the Pope and the powers that be, all the political uh, uh, power as well as the, the religious authority from the Church of Rome said, we've got to go down and we've got to kill the infidels. And infidels means non-believers. So who's the non-believer? The Christians that are going down to kill the infidels, when ha- which has nothing to do with it, what the teacher Jesus talked about, or the Muslims who are killing the Christians because they're the infidels. And then, of course, you have the Islamic, we, we have the Islamic suicide bombers which once again is not faith, it's fanaticism. And in fact, if Muhammad were alive, what Muhammad wrote was that to take one life is to take all lives. If you take one life, you take all lives. And if, and if you save one life, you save all lives. I mean, it's right there. He would be, I believe that if he were alive today, he would be appalled at what is going on. But what happens is people need a place to stand. And so it's, it, it requires a tremendous amount of wisdom and love, compassion, and deep caring to stand in this unknown possibility. With Christianity, you see it now with the the passage and the approval of all 50 states by the U.S. Supreme Court of of, uh, sanctioning and approving gay marriage. And so you see what's happening is the people that really are challenged by that are are popping up and saying, this is an abolition, you know, this is a, uh, this is horrible. This is ruining this family structure. Well, if they were really concerned about family structure, the, the divorce rate is above 50%. So it's, and I'm not, I'm not you know, happy about that either, but if you really want to look at the family structure, you may want to put some energy into, well, how do we maybe fix this? You know, how do we bring improvement in the quality of life? And maybe how does this, this relationship, how can we support this in a different way? But to look at two people that love each other and want to spend a lifetime together, and deny them because they happen to be of the same sex. So what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, is that spiritually we are so much more than our gender. Spiritually we are so much more than our sexual preferences. There's so much more, when, and, and what I love about our teaching is that we can step back and look at it from 30,000 feet and say, is love present here? Is love happening here? Because I'm all for the love. I'm pulling for the love. And if love's not happening there, then there's something to know, there's something to look at. But when we become fanatics, and our way is the only way, I don't think it serves anybody well. It's, because real faith has no easy answers. Real faith doesn't have any easy answers. It's difficult, it's stubborn at times, it involves an ongoing struggle and questioning of what we think we know. We have to wrestle with issues. And faith goes hand in hand with uncertainty, with doubt. Last night, Laura and I watched the interview of, uh, of Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner, 
with Diane Sawyer. Hadn't seen it the first time it aired. It was a rerun. And, you know, I, I don't understand all of it. That's not, that has not been my experience. But here's this man that was the epitome of masculinity, Olympic decathlon champion at the Montreal Olympics. The best athlete in the world, according to what that title uh, brings along with it. And now he's, he's going through this whole metamorphosis of, his, of what he says I've been called to be my whole life. And he said, and I know that God's hand is in this for me because he said, I feel like I was given all these gifts and put it in this situation to play this out in public. I just, you know, I, I thought, man, oh man, I'm, you know, we all have our gifts to share with the world. I'm just glad that wasn't mine. It just seems, <laughs> it seems overwhelming to me. But what courage it takes and to be able to stand in that integrity and to be true to himself. And, and he, you know, so it's just fascinating. So I don't know, I, but I live in the question. What I know is that a greater sense of love and a greater sense of purpose that we support here is being expressed. And it doesn't matter what I think, it, but it, it matters how I internalize it, what I do with my perception. And does it create a, a greater sense of, of love and acceptance in my life, or do I find myself becoming a fanatic about it, that this is wrong? I love it that he, he said in the, in the talk, he said, well, I'm a, I'm a conservative Republican. And I thought, isn't this a cool wake-up call for the guys that some of the guys that are entrenched? I thought, that's so great. And, and Diane Sawyer said, what do you think of that? What do you think of the, they'll think of that? He said, oh, I think they'll be very accepting. Now, there's a man of faith, I'm telling you. I just thought, wow, look at this guy. But I think, once again, it speaks to our souls. And this whole thing that we fall asleep in the, in the world of form. Now, form's important. But we can fall asleep in it and we can miss some of the richest, most beautiful things that are happening on this planet right now. You know, we've, had, we've got enough of killing one another. You know, we've got enough of terrorizing one another. It's just, we've learned, Dr. Holmes says right in our textbook, we have learned enough through suffering. And so, the next, the next slide I want to share with you. This is from Debbie Ford. Debbie Ford was an amazing, amazing teacher. She passed away a few years ago. She wrote The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. And she wrote this. She said, our underlying commitments drive our thoughts, our beliefs, and most importantly, our choices. They are unseen forces that shape our realities. Our underlying commitments are responsible for the discrepancies between what we say we want and what we're actually experiencing. These underlying commitments are formed by unconscious decisions we've made in the past. Our underlying commitments. So how do we track our underlying commitments? So all of us have been exposed, had certain experiences in our lives that have created, and that's what creates our, the, the, the unique nature of our consciousness. So on the next slide, it comes from our stories. And first of all, the first stories that we tell are, are the old stories of how we've had experiences in life, we were raised by certain people, we, have, we, we grew up in a family structure or not, we, you know, or whatever it may be, but you know, these ideas that I'm not enough, there'll never be enough for me to, at the end of the month to pay the rent and to buy f the, the food I'd like to purchase. Or this relationship will never work out. That love will never be for me. Or you know, the job will never show up, the right and perfect career or the, the next right step on my journey. All these things that we tell ourselves that become part of the old story. Many, many, many. The next one is the cold. Now, there's the cold stories, those heartbreaks and disappointments that we've had. The things where we, we've, we've stepped out in faith or we've been in the, the relationship, the job, the, the finances go south. And there can be a bitter sting with that. There can be a resentment and a, and, a, and a sorrow and a sadness that we can carry with us that identifies us. 
you know, she was, a, you know, this didn't work out. I'm unemployable. I, I'll never be in a wonderful partnership. All these things that can identify us, but they're, and they're very cold. There's no passion. There's no joy in it. There's no celebration. Once again, that can be part of that underlying commitments. And the third one is the told, what people say about us. So people, you've met people that meet and see you, a portion of you, or see a, take a snapshot of you, and from that snapshot, they write a whole, uh, you know, biography, or they label us, or they call us things, and that becomes the graffiti in our lives. It's as if we have our own walls up that people can graffiti their opinions of us on. And what happens is many times we'll accept that for whatever reason. So all these things, we all have these. We all have, the, we all have the old, the cold, and the told. And the next one, the most interesting one, is to take all of them and realize that was then, this is now, and to write about the gold. We can all write about the gold. That's why writing things down, having a mission statement to say, I'm so happy and grateful that, as Mary Morrissey says in her Prosperity Plus, Work. I'm so happy and grateful that I can learn anything I need to learn. I mean, isn't that a wonderful thing? That's abundance. There isn't one thing that anyone in this room that, that gave the time and devotion to to learn or to develop would be unsuccessful. I'm so happy and grateful to learn. I'm always amazed. I get done doing every. I get it done doing a talk on Sunday, and I go home and say, "That's it. I've shared that before. That's all I got done. I have to go find a job now." And then all of a sudden, I realize, oh, wait a minute. Look at this, another, this next chapter and look at what there is for me to learn. You know, one of the things that keeps me engaged in the, the, this beautiful work I get to do is the, the learning curve. There's always more to know. There's always more to understand and, and to examine and to find ways to craft it and put it together. It's just, it's like, wow. I never thought that'd be on my bucket list at all. I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to plant somewhere and, and have all the answers and, and enough resources so I wouldn't have to interact with anybody ever again. So the gold, the gold is this, those sort of things that we, we learn along the way. Not sort of, the things that we do learn along the way. What we, what we long to experience in our lives. So life, next slide, is life is not about outcomes. Outcomes are certainly important. Outcomes are very important. You know, we, we, we track things, we measure things, we want to have enough resources, we want to have enough support and, and good people in our lives that support and, and add to the, to the texture and the, and the beauty of our lives. But it's not all about outcomes. Life is about value received. Life's about value received. So this situation, what did I learn from this? What did this grow in me? So when we've had really deep and powerful periods in our lives when abundance, when money and finances seem to disappear and then we, we move through it and we get through it and it develops in us a strength and a, and a stamina that we didn't have prior or that we go into a business uh, relationship and all of a sudden things go sideways but what do we, the, the question to really ask is what was the value in this, what did I receive in this what was the experience? How did this help shift and change and enhance my consciousness? But if I'm in that fanaticism and, and the disappointment shows up, well, if I believe in an arbitrary and punishing God, then I'm being punished for some reason I don't understand. Or the world is out to get me. Or you spin into despair. 
and despair is a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is how this stuff works. If we decide that life is against us and that I'm going to stand in despair, that I'll never get ahead, that I'll never have what I need, that nothing will ever be met, all that the infinite intelligence can do is support us. It always says yes. And so it creates more and more situations and more and more experiences to reinforce the despair. Dr. Holmes said that the, the, the principle that loves and supports us is also the principle that will bind us. We're always using this infinite principle of, of divine intelligence. And, the, and that's why it's so precious and it's important to understand how we interact with it. How are we in conversation? What stories? That's why telling the gold is so important. Not the old, not the cold, and not the told, what's told about us. We have an opportunity to hear it and thank people for sharing and put it down. I've gotten really, really good over the last couple of years of just removing myself from the fight. There are people on the planet that without a fight, they don't know what to do. And what happens is when I've realized now when they come into my life, and I take time, I look at it, I examine it, but if I know that they're looking for the fight, and, and if I'm really looking for a good fight too, because I was born in that Irish Catholic tradition, is this a private fight or can anybody get in on it? <laughs> but a lot, what I'm finding as I get older is I don't have the energy for it. I don't have the energy for it, so I'll remove myself from the fight. That's just thanks for sharing. Let me know how that works out. You know, it's like somebody telling you they'll meet you out back in 15 minutes. I'll say, well, you go out there, and if I'm not there, you start without me. <laughs> I, got other, I got other fish to fry. But boy, I sure love the fight, because that's how I was raised. We had a constant fight in my family. 11 kids. You didn't want to be there on pork shop night. You put your hand in with a fork to get the pork chop and somebody would stab you on the back of your hand trying to get a pork chop. But that was the environment. So life is not about our outcomes, it's about our values received. So I have a picture of a, of a, of a, a tree that's being held up in the, in the air. The tree had fallen over, they picked it up and here's a man to give you a perspective. We'll pull it up in a moment here. He's standing next to the tree. There he is. And you see the roots. And roots are really important. Last year, Laura and I moved into a new home, and we planted some perennials that didn't do too well the first year. They're kind of puny. They didn't really get going. This year, they went crazy, beautiful. And, and, and all I can tell you is that the root system finally had a chance to reach down in and get the nutrients, but they just went, like, exploded. Put some uh, bleeding hearts in. Oh, beautiful. Just gorgeous. A few other things, some, uh, some lavender, came up beautiful, just four or five times the size it was the first year. And it speaks to roots. It speaks to the, our roots going in and being nurtured. And having that deep connection, that deep abiding connection with the, the source of all life that we all come from. This divine presence that the teacher Jesus talked about it, that Muhammad experienced, that the Buddha experienced, sat under the, the Bodhi tree and had this mystical experience. The next slide shows some trees on the California coast near Big Sur. And I'm always amazed and dazzled by these trees because they're growing in the rocks. It's like these trees want to grow. They're just there, they're growing. If you've ever gone there, it's like amazing. It's like where are they, they just, and their roots are going down between the rocks and grabbing the earth and pulling up the nutrients. It's incredible. And, and who knows how many trees would be there, but these ones made it because they want to, they connect, they connect with the, that soil and nutrient. They connect with that life-giving moisture that allows them to, to grow and thrive and to be there and be strong because these trees are just battered by the winds. 
mean, these winds are just intense there at times. And then the next tree, which I love in the next picture, reminded me of this, this quote from Psalms. And it's the trees standing along this beautiful river. And the quote is, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also not wither, and whosoever he does shall prosper. So water represents the presence of spirit. And this was what the psalmist was writing about. And so when we connect with those life-giving waters, the presence of the divine, love, beauty, everything shifts and changes for us. Then we don't have to be certain of everything, but what we're certain of, what I have faith in, what this beautiful woman wrote the book, um, Leslie Hazelton, the first Muslim, she said, I'm an atheist, but I look out in the world and I'll tell you what I have faith in. She said, I have faith in myself and what I hold precious. I have faith in other people, the goodness of other people. You don't need any more faith in that. You don't have to be a believer in any tradition. And I love that. It's very Buddhist. The Buddhists, I mean, they're amazing. They're not not doing good things here to, to get their way into heaven. They're doing good things now because that's just what they do. Because they want to duplicate the nature of the beloved in this moment. And so it's just a very interesting perspective on consciousness, but when we dip into those waters, which is that presence of spirit, to have our own practices, to have a beautiful prayer life, we're shifted and changed. And to do that, once we get into certitude, once we land into that land of I have all the answers, we just cut ourselves off from that. One of the, the uh, pieces that informed me this, this week is from a book by Roger Teal called This Life is Joy, and it's a wonderful book. And um, in this particular chapter, he talks about what happens when we dip dip into this well, this deep well of the the waters of spirit. He says, you are so much more than a material time-space organism. You are are the I am, which was what Moses said, I am that I am. You are the I am. A being of light born from, living within, and giving expression to universal love and intelligence. This is our divine nature. This isn't something we have to, to, to learn how to do. This is something we can reveal. But it cannot be revealed when we stand in the certitude and the fanaticism that we're right. Because it just doesn't, there needs to be an opening for it. And that requires courage. That's the faith to realize, you know what? I don't have all the answers. And I'll never have all the answers. But I stand grounded in the truth of my being. I am the I am that I am. As you walk in this awareness, the world no longer has the power to intimidate and manipulate you. Obstacles and dilemmas become opportunities to listen deeply and to make yourself available to a vast inner guidance. You no longer fall prey to as much discouragement or disillusionment with the world. You are becoming keenly aware of the forces of thought. The forces of thought. I am so happy and grateful that I can learn whatever I need to learn. I'm so happy and grateful that I continue to duplicate the nature of success in my own being, that my particular gift and calling is supported, resourced, identified, expanded, and shared with the world. Those are some interesting ideas. That's the greater yet to be. 
watched a beautiful uh, video this week talking about the development of the Constitution in the United States. And I'm, you know, I'm, I have dual citizenship, and I'm always fascinated. I'm still trying to figure out the Canadian system of how you vote for a guy, but it elects the party. It's like, okay, I get it. And I'm, 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 I'm. But in, when, when the founding fathers of the Constitution wrote the document, they said to create a more perfect whole, a more perfect union, a more perfect union, which to me is such a powerful statement because they knew they would never achieve perfection. A more perfect union on behalf of everyone. And the dilemma is it's so easy to get entrenched and if I consolidate power and I consolidate money, I can control everything because I know what's right. And these are good people who believe this. They're not bad, they're great people. But what happens is all of a sudden growth stops because we're gonna preserve, preserve what we have. And our divine nature is to develop a more perfect union as it is what is called to at, the, at the, the, the center of democracy. I love that. They had the wisdom to know we don't have this right yet, but we'll keep working in that direction and knowing there's no destination. Moreover, you realize yourself as a spiritual change agent capable of bringing forth higher perspectives and transforming blessings. Higher perspectives and transforming blessings. That's our opportunity. That's what I love about Dr. Holmes. He'll say, he used to say, I don't know, but something within me does know. To identify with that deep well, that deep presence. So this week's practices, based on this, you know, the idea of the old, the told, and the cold. Number one, notice the stories that we tell ourselves and tell others. What stories are you telling? What stories do you keep going along with? Someone asked me uh, uh, about Laura today. She's home resting. And I said, but I don't even want to tell you what's going on because I just don't want to give energy to it. She's just getting better. She just needed a break. She's resting up. But I don't want to dwell on that. I don't want to, and I want to bring care and, and um, assistance to that. But I don't, want to, and I don't want to support her in not being well. So a lot of times when I'm not feeling well, I don't want to share with you. Because sometimes, all of a sudden, we start to worry about it. It's like, I don't need that. Thanks so much. Don't need the worry. The stories you tell yourselves, and then make it gold. What is the highest idea? What is the possibility? I'm so happy and grateful. And after that, whatever it is. And of course it's not real right now. Of course you may be broke. Financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically. But none of us are stuck. And it is our opportunity to, to, to transform that. What did we learn from this? To go from nothing. Because I don't want to spin into despair. Because despair means it's impossible. And I will not live this life believing that it's not possible. I don't believe it's impossible to have world peace. I don't believe it's impossible for people to get along and to treat one another with compassion. I just will not accept that. Now I see it happening and happening and happening, but it's a call for me to continue to do my own house cleaning and to nurture the gold and to take a stand where it's appropriate. And then the last one is to fall in love with affirmative prayer. Affirmative prayer is the centering prayer. There's one life, that life is spirit's life. That life is love and beauty. And what I know in this moment and what I put behind that because I've called forth that presence, all of a sudden I'm in co-creation with this infinite divine presence. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And then to, to stand back and, and watch it unfold. Beautiful. It'll be this or something better. This or something grander. You know, we wheeled out that diagram, that drawing of what we want to build here. And there's part of me, there's still a voice in there that says, impossible, impossible. And I go, okay, thanks for sharing. It doesn't go away. I just don't give it energy. I go, oh, anything's possible. It's this or something better. 
you know, whatever there is. To, and, and so I, it's not up to me. But I have the opportunity to nurture and reach for the highest thought possible. And in reaching for that highest thought possible, noticing what I tell myself, turning it to gold, and, and falling in love with affirmative prayer. If you're going home and saying, oh, I took that class at the center, and now I've got to do these affirmative prayers. Oh, just more stuff to do. If it's not one of the most exciting things you're doing during, the, during your week, then stop doing it. Don't bring that old, that you're told or cold or old story to it, but the freshness and the expectancy. Wow, I'm planting seeds today. Because when we plant seeds, when you put in a new crop, you have to pat it down to give it some resistance. That seed needs resistance. Your life needs resistance. Otherwise, we'd fall asleep. I'm scared of sitting in this big chair up here. I tell you, I can't use that big chair because I'll fall asleep in it. It still scares me. (laughs) But we can fall asleep. And if you fall asleep, it's okay because we can always wake ourselves back up because we really are here to give birth, to understand the, the nuances of faith, and to move from fanaticism, if we find ourselves being fanatical, and certainty into conviction. And conviction is a whole different energy. Conviction is just something we, we make a commitment to and a vow and a devotion to the greater yet to be, the possibility. And then to, to find the evidence of that unfolding in our lives that continues to enhance it because what we appreciate, appreciates. And to continue to do the work in pursuit of a more perfect union. Blessings. Thank you so much. <laughs>